I've got one more set of Torah devotionals that I did at the end of the year. At the end of the year. <laughs> it's at the end of the calendar year if you're reading the Torah devotional book. So they're the last ones that I wrote. And I did get the book emailed out to the publisher March 31st, which was my due date. Yeah, thank you guys for so much prayer, so much support. Uh, Mark Wilkie, many of you guys were, were helping me by proofreading and reminding me not to split infinitives and to spell their the right way, depending upon how I'm using it, etc. So I do have a set of those that, that I still haven't shared with you that I want to share with you. I've also got some lessons on finding Jesus in the Old Testament, which fit quite well with Pastor David's sermon today on the road to Emmaus. But I've got a collection of those that we haven't done that I'd really like to do to finish those up as well. And then there's just this and that that we've left undone. There were a couple of parts of the New Testament survey that we did not get to because we ran out of time. Uh, I, I even had a little more on Colossians. So I've got all of these little doodads, knickknacks. Uh, I, I feel like a, 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 an antique store, you know, where you shop, where you're, you, you don't call those stores, do you? You call them shops? So I was in Rutland, Vermont this week, and my, my meeting finished just a little bit quicker than I was my ride to, to come home. And so right next to where I was meeting with this marvelous lady, uh, there's this antique shop. And I went into the antique shop and I thought, this is kind of what I'm doing with class. I got all these different things that I need to, that, that don't really fit together, but they're all on my shelves and I've got to get rid of them. So we're going to go through and we're going to clean up a little bit. And that means this morning we're going to uh, uh, finish our this and that later. But this morning we're going to do our Torah devotionals, the very last set. These are the last few days of the year. And these were really special to me uh, to write. Because I, I've spent a lot of time on it and I'm making it through and I'm, I'm at the end of the Torah. I mean, at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, not Matthew, Mark, Genesis, Exodus. The, okay, okay. Since we're just family in here. I told my wife, I said, Beck, I said, you know, I've been having to write five to seven devotionals a day to get this thing done on time. And I am, I'm, I'm just, I'm done it was uh, it was April 1st. It was Easter. And I thought, how marvelous to be done with the Torah devotionals. I felt like I was going on vacation because I could, like, read a book. I could do something other than write a Torah devotional. The next morning I had to get up, and I think that may have been the day I flew to, to, to Rutland, Vermont or whatever. And I got home late, and she said, well, what did you do on the plane? I said, well... I started writing the next devotional book. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing it for 2020, God willing, and it's going to be on the lives and, life and teachings of Jesus, which is one place where I want us to move in some of our stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited because, and, and I don't mean to just get bogged down, but, but this is, I want you to be praying about this. I want you to get excited about this. So one of the things that, that we're, in, in our branch of Protestantism, now we've got some marvelous folks in here who go to Catholic churches and, and go to different places, but, but in the Southern Baptist tradition of Protestantism, we're not tuned in that closely to the church calendar, the liturgical calendar. 
So what I'm going to do with the devotional book on the life and teaching of Jesus is write them in a way where they fit into the liturgical calendar some. So on Easter for 2020, that's the year I'm targeting it for, you'll have the Easter devotional. You know, on, on Ash Wednesday, you'll have an Ash Wednesday devotional. During Lent, you'll have Lenten devotionals. During Pentecost, you'll have the Pentecost. During the Christmas Advent season, you'll deal with the Advent of Jesus and all. So it's a devotional book on the life and teachings of Jesus that will fit in with the church calendar. So be thinking about that, praying about that, and we'll do some of that in class as we go along uh, much ahead of time. But today, today... I want us to finish the Torah devotional series properly so that we can encapsulate it on the internet and people who want to look at it can experience it. And so we finish it with our seventh in the series. And I want to begin it by referencing what Jesus said for this finale in a sense. And that is in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, the Torah or the prophets. Those are two big sections of the Old Testament that were sections of the Word of God. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the Torah. Christianity is not a a Christianity where the Torah is abolished. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill the Torah. And what that means for Jesus to fulfill the Torah is something that's marvelous for us to look at. Now, this, this, this is what we have. And so that's where we are this morning. And, and that's where I want to start out. I want us to look at it in light of what Philip said to Nathaniel. We're going to loop back to this. But Philip said to Nathaniel when Philip was found, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And that's who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't simply the Messiah, but he's the Messiah that Moses had written about in the Torah. So we want to look at the Torah at the end of the Torah and we're going to see some of that as we go along. How many of you have ever been to law school? No. We're studying the law right now. You're in law school. This is the Torah. Now, how many of you have ever been to law school? Thank you very much. Now, if you went to an American law school as opposed to a Torah law school, one of the things you would take is a course in evidence. And in the course of evidence, you would learn certain different types of evidence that are generally excluded or that are only included under certain rules and circumstances. I suspect you've heard some of this on TV. Lucy's, uh, keep going. Lucy's sister Sarah told Lucy, and Lucy told me that, and then the lawyer stands up, objection, hearsay. See the reason that's there. 
is in a courtroom, you're always looking for the best available evidence. And the best available evidence in the American judicial system comes from a witness that can be cross-examined. So that you can find out, okay, just, you know, are you claiming to be an eyewitness to the accident? Yes, I am. Well, did you have your glasses on? No, I didn't. Well, what's your vision? Oh, basically, I'm blind. (laughs) See, you need to be able to cross-examine it so that we know, as opposed to me just saying, well, John told me he saw the Buick run the red light. Well, I'd like to cross-examine John to see if John had his glasses on. Or to see if John's related to the person in the other car. You know, it, those, those, those are the rules. But there are exceptions to the hearsay rule. And one of the exceptions is called a dying declaration. If someone is about to die and they're speaking about what happened and, and they, then, then what they had to say under some evidence rules can be admissible even though it's hearsay. In other words, if I'm with John and John says, uh, Jimmy just shot and killed me. And that's his last words as he's dying then I'm allowed to say, hey, John, as he was dying in his last breath, said, Jimmy shot and killed me. The basis for this rule is, when you're about to die, generally you don't tell a lie. You don't generally, even if you're not sure there's a hereafter, just for grins, you don't generally enter into the hereafter with your last words being a lie. You try to just to be on the safe side. Go ahead and tell the truth. There is a recognition through the development of law and and the history of law that the last words that people have to say are generally words that are important. They're, they're the words that, that, that you, you recognize you're leaving these words behind. And I like that understanding because part of the way the devotional book ends and, and the way the Torah ends are the last words of Moses. And this is Moses who has cared for these people like crazy. This is Moses, who left his happy life as a shepherd because God told him to go down to Egypt, a place he'd run from, confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, All to lead God's children, who ratted Moses out and was the reason he fled Egypt to start with. All to lead them away from Pharaoh. 
Moses doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to do it. He tries to convince God to send someone else. God says, no, I've chosen you for this. And if you remember the story, God actually said, if you don't think you're up to it, Moses, just take the stick and I'll use the stick. And so Moses takes the stick and he goes down. And, and, and it's not an easy, hey, Pharaoh, the Lord said to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, well, are you sure it was the Lord? He said, yeah. Oh, okay. If God said it, let him go. See ya. It didn't happen that way. And this is, this is Pharaoh's slave force. This is his commodity. And he's not letting them go easy. So Moses has to come in and confront Pharaoh. And it's not fun. And it's not comfortable. And it's not enjoyable. But Moses does it. And with plague after plague after plague after plague, Moses continually does it. And finally, Moses is used for the plague that kills the firstborn of all of Egypt. That's not a fun thing. Talk to someone in the military. Even when it's for a just cause to have to kill someone else, to be used to kill someone else, it's not a fun thing. That's part of what post-traumatic stress disorder is all about. Moses has to endure all of this, and the people are released, but they're not thankful. They're a bunch of whiny pants. For 40 years, Moses has these people. He's got to listen to their disputes and decide their disputes. When they're hungry, he gets them food from God. When they're thirsty, he gets some water from God. God gives Moses the, the, the Ten Commandments and the law. While the people are down having an idolatry fest. Moses is so frustrated and angry, he throws and breaks the Ten Commandments. God's got to rewrite them. Moses gets them to the promised land. Hey, finally, I'm done. Thank you, Lord. Send spies into the promised land. The spies come back. And except for two of them, they're all, oh, the people are giants. We're going to get slaughtered. And God curses them and says, okay, this generation doesn't go in. Sorry, Moses. You've got to haul around in the wilderness for 40 years with these whiny people that are unfaithful. And he does. For 40 blessed years. This is Moses who's given his life, his heart, his soul, his energy for these people. And he's finally given them his last words. Let's look at him. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. Moses blessed him and he said this. 
the eternal God is your dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting arms. There's a picture here that, that you need to get that doesn't necessarily come from the word, so I'll try to draw it if I can. This is the eternal God. And the eternal God is your dwelling place. You live under the eternal God. That's you. That's your house. Okay, it's not really good. Your door's pretty short. You gotta crawl in. <laughs> Either that or that's one of the giants in the land. Not drawn to scale. Sorry, the lawyer in me took over. Then he says the eternal God, but God's eternal. He is your dwelling place underneath are the everlasting arms. So underneath God are the everlasting arms. And that's where you dwell. You dwell underneath His, 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 His arms. So here's the devotional from this. If God is your dwelling place, if you've got He's eternal. His arms are everlasting. That means they don't get tired. They don't, you, you don't have to worry about him saying, Oh, okay, my back hurts, man. I gotta put you down for a minute. My arms are breaking. Whew. No. He's eternal and his arms are everlasting. And you dwell with him. That's where you eat. That's where you breathe. That's where you live. You don't go anywhere in your entire existence where God is not available and God is not there to nurture you and to care for you. That is the option that we have. And so the question for us is, where are we going to live? We've got the option. Are we going to slum through life? Or are we going to dwell with God? Moses has given these great explanations of what God will do and how God expects us to live and what is responsible living before God and how to love Him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and how to love your neighbor as yourself and not to envy other people and not to gossip and not to be greedy, to be holy and to be pure and to be righteous because if you follow that path, if you follow that road, blessings come. Just as certainly as if you eat a nutritious meal, your body will be nourished. But if instead you choose to do that which God calls evil, if you try to lie your way through life, if you cheat other people, if you're unfaithful in your marriage, all of these things will damage you. Others as well. But it will damage who you are. It's going to take you out of, of where you need to be dwelling. And you're, you're living in a slum. I've got a friend who's a lawyer in Dallas. Great, great guy. 
He said to me one time, he said, Mark, do you realize just about every human being in America are seven bad decisions from living under a bridge? I thought, he's right. Maybe he's overestimated it. But why would we choose to do that when we can dwell with the Lord? That's the devotional. Next devotional. Very related. The protection of God is real in this world. Moses made that clear in his final speech as well, in his last words. The protection of God is real in this world. It's not make-believe. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not something that you desperately hope for, like maybe a lottery ticket. It's something you can bank on and be confident on. It's something, as Moses said, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. He's talking about the them in in Canaan, the promised land where the Israelites are about to go. Don't be in fear. Don't be in dread of them. It's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. What do you fear in this world? What are you dreading right now in your life? Commit it to God. Really do. What does that mean, commit it to God? It means this. God, I am committing to you this problem. Because I don't have the strength and the courage to face it. Right now, I'm in fear. Right now, I dread this. But I'm going to commit it to you. And I'm going to ask for your strength and your courage and for the conviction that you won't leave me. That you won't forsake me. Doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Doesn't mean that what you're fearing may not come to pass because it might. But it means whatever happens, God will be with you. And He will not leave you. And He will not forsake you. And you will endure. And you will come out on the other side of it. That's the promise. So we can be strong and courageous. Not because it's going to be a bed of roses. But because it's going to be with the Lord. And that was true for Israel invading Cana. But it's true for every them in our lives as well. There's not a them that you can put into that sentence that would not change the truth of it. Be strong and courageous that would change the truth of it. Do not fear or be in dread of them, whatever your them is. Because it's the Lord your God who goes with you. Look at that. It's the Lord your God who goes with you. Still true today for every them. Now, here's the wild part. Look at that passage carefully. It's Deuteronomy 31.6 because we're going to see a very similar thing. Moses repeats it, but this time Moses 
enhances it. Because here's what you're, you you, you got to know. I don't care what your scenery of life is like. I don't care where you are. In answer to the question, is God with me? The answer is yes. It's yes if the seas are stormy and the skies are cloudy. It's yes if it looks like... That's not Lubbock, okay? <laughs> Lubbock does not have that hill in the back. Or the tree. <laughs> but God is with you wherever you are, whatever you're going through. Here's what Moses says a minute later. He says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do you see the sandwich he's done in this verse? Look at the sandwich with me. He says, it's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. We'll do the sandwich up there first. He'll be with you. That's the meat. That's the inside of the sandwich. God's going to be with you. Moses has already said that, right? But now Moses is saying it with more of the sandwich. He says, he's going before you. It's not just he's going to be with you through this. He's in front of you as well. There's no ambush. There are no surprises to God. He's walking before you. He's leading you. And so he's going to be with you. But the other side of the sandwich, not only is he in front of you, leading you and with you, but he's also not going to leave you or forsake you. He's behind you as well. He's got your back. He's got your front. He's beside you. And he's got your back. You're surrounded. And because you're surrounded by God, when you walk with him and his will, because you're surrounded by God, you don't need to be afraid. And you don't need to be dismayed. I love the Hebrew word for dismayed. It's katat. It's katat. You can think about it like a catastrophe. Katat. Katat. That's a C-H-T-T sound. Katat. Katat means, it's translated dismayed. That's good. But the root of the word comes from the idea of something being shattered. It's something being busted to pieces. Let me give you an example of that. In Jeremiah 51, 56, you can read the same word, but you'll get an idea of, of, of the, the semantic range of it. 
Jeremiah 51, 56. A destroyer has come upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken. Their bows are dismayed. (laughs) They're broken into pieces. They're shattered. That's what, if we go back to the PowerPoint, that's what God's saying here. God's saying, Moses is saying, don't fear, don't, don't be shattered. Don't let this terrify you. Don't let, don't fall to pieces might be a, an expression we would use. That's very related. Fall to pieces. In fact, that's, that's, when, when I do my translation of the Old Testament, that's what I'm going to put in there. Don't fall to pieces. That's what it's talking about. You don't need to. God's going to keep you whole and intact. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be dismayed. God surrounds you. Okay? Next devotional. I got something real important to say. So you need to listen. This is like some of the stuff I say up here. Honestly, it's not that important. Like the comment about Lubbock not having that hill. That's not that important. But this one is. So I want you to really listen carefully. I was talking to a fellow last night, a friend named Chris who uh, listens to this class when he works out on a podcast. And I thought, huh, I didn't know people did that. But thanks to our Internet people, we've got this class available. So if you're listening to this on a podcast, listen. Stop your exercise. No, don't have to stop your exercise. But listen, pay attention. This is really important. Do you know how I know it's important? Because Moses said that. He said, listen. Moses said, give ear. Okay, that's not what it's supposed to be. Let's try it again. We have just switched. Yeah, don't fear the big guy. Um, Somehow we have just lost. We have just merged to a different PowerPoint in there than I have here. Okay, so we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We're going to earn it. Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 4. If we can go to the Elmo. Please. Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 4. Listen. Give ear. That's the way Moses says it. He said, listen, this is really important. Give ear, oh heavens. Listen. He's not just talking to Israel. He wants everything to listen. Everybody pay attention because I'm going to say something. And I want the entire earth to hear what I have to say. It is that important. I want my teaching to drop like rain. I just want it to fall all over 
everybody and everything, what I have to declare to you, what I want to teach you right now. I want my speech to be like dew that you wake up and it's all over the ground. Remember, they're living in camps, not hotels. I want a gentle rain upon the tender grass. I want it showers upon the herb. Why? Because I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. Wow. Listen. There's nothing greater that I can do than tell you of the greatness of our God. There's nothing more splendid that I could speak of than the greatness of our God. There's nothing more astonishing and awe-inspiring than ascribing greatness to our God. You see, our God's a rock. And His work is perfect. And His ways are justice. And he's faithful. And there's nothing wrong with him. He's just and upright. Let me tell you how incredible our God is. Can we just spend a moment for me to tell you the greatness of our God? Can we spend a moment for me to tell you that he's made more stars than we can count? And ours, the sun, is a little one in comparison to most of them. Can I tell you that the stars are made up of more hydrogen atoms than we can count? Every star is. And there are more stars than we can count. Can I tell you that there are 8 billion people on the planet? And that every one of them has thoughts about problems and issues in life. And has hopes and dreams and ambitions. Then has shortcomings and sin and have strengths and talents and abilities. Eight billion of them right now with all of that stuff going on in their lives. And out of all of the stars, with all of the atoms, with all of the people that are on this planet, you sitting right where you are, right now are a name that God holds right there in the middle in the hollow of his hand and that he knows who you are and he knows what you're thinking and he knows what he can do in your life if you'll let him and he's calling you by name And He's a just God and He's an upright God and there's no sin in Him. And there is in you. But that's okay because He took care of that. The just God paid the price for your sins. He died for your sins in Jesus. So that He can not only look at you and call you by name, but can still be a just God when He says to you, I want you to be forever dwelling with me. I want to take you and your skills and I want to, I want to sharpen them and, and strengthen them and, and, and shine them and use them for some things that I have planned uniquely for you to do. 
So I want to take you and, and, and all of the things that have made you who you are. Some marvelous things have happened in your life and they've built you into the person you are. There are some wretched things that have happened in the lives of many people, but it's made them who they are. And God says, even in the midst of the wretchedness and everything else that's made you who you are, you are uniquely qualified to do some very special works. And do you know how God knows you're uniquely qualified? Because He's the one who prepared those works for you to do. This is a God who's outside of... And and you may be sitting there saying, how can a God really do all of that? Well, okay, set aside your puny brain for a moment. Because God's bigger than our puny brain. Your brain weighs three and a half pounds of icky gray matter. And it's not going to comprehend the God who can do all of this. Not even close. You live in your little brain, you're not going to be able to grasp. That's how awesome he is and we need to let that come down we need to give ear to this because the heavens and the earth the dew and the rain all of this is a testimony to the grandeur and the greatness of God our rock who loves us so yes I have something important to say I want to tell you how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. One last devotional, two if we've got time. But this is, where do you keep your focus? Now, since we're going old school, I'm going to really impress you with my PowerPoint slide here. I'm about to draw one for you. You ready? Are you ready to just be blown away? Okay, this is going to be, where do you keep your focus? Because this is critical in life. This is absolutely critical. So, um... Our son, when he was young, I think Janet Seifert told me one of her sons was like this too. Our son, when he was young, would um, get these books. Do y'all have any clue what this is? Okay. Um, he would get these books that were like magic books. So you got the hand holding the... The wand. Okay, that's, that's a hand. <laughs> Don't laugh. This is, I've just started. I've got more to draw. The fingers need to come down over the wand there. This would be like a head. <laughs> See? That's a magician. This is the hat. So I guess this arm needs to be holding the hat. There. He's got three legs. I'm sorry about that. There. And he's got shoes. Make him look like Max. Now, 
If you've got a magician, what's the magician try to do before he does his magic trick? Distract you. He says, nothing up my sleeve. And when he does that, watch out because he just did something else because you just went to look at his sleeve. That's the way magic works often is it's really the art of distraction so that you don't see the trick. If, if, if your focus is not exactly where it needs to be, you won't see the trick. So that's the question. Where do you keep your focus in life? Deuteronomy 32.18, Moses said the following. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. This was a serious problem. And it's one that would be repeated in history, in the life of Israel. It's one that's been repeated over and over in my life. And I suspect in yours. Where do we keep our focus? When our focus is on God, it changes everything. When we are focused on the light, it changes everything. But do you see the shadows? If you see the shadows, you're not looking at the light. How we view the world depends on, is our focus where it needs to be? I've met a lot of people. Who who say to me, I used to believe in God, but I don't believe in God anymore. And I always find it interesting to talk to them and ask them, why? And usually they'll say, well, uh, because uh, science explains blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. God made science. I I got got all the science stuff. That's not going to sway me. And it shouldn't sway you. So Why? Well, because I don't see that we need God. Okay, tell me about that. Or I don't understand how there can be a good God and these things can happen. Tell me about that. Because here's what I found as I talk to people. People who have a faith in God or belief in God and then one day they're telling people they don't anymore. It's generally not a it happened last night type thing. It's generally one where they lost their focus. They didn't stay plugged in at church. They didn't stay plugged in with other groups. And if I point that out and I talk to them, they say, well, that's just brainwashing. We got out from under the brainwashing. I say, well, time out, time out, time out. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's a question of focus. And if you're not mindful of God, your mind will grow and develop without God being there. And if your mind grows and develops without God being there, then one day you're going to wake up 
And you're not going to see God there at all. You're going to forget the God that made you who you are and that gave you birth. I, I don't want to be that way. I don't want my children to be that way. I don't want my grandchildren to be that way. I don't want my friends to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. I don't want anybody to be that way. And what it means is what Moses was saying. Please stay plugged in. Stay plugged in. Focus on the Lord. Don't get distracted. You get distracted, you'll fall for anything. Don't let the magician distract you. You'll fall for anything. Pretty soon you'll start thinking, yeah, there's no God. Oh, come on. Like this is all an accident? We're stardust plus time? Really? And there's no divine hand behind it? Really? You'll fall for anything if you lose your focus and get distracted. Now, at the end of the Torah is this fascinating passage. Chapter 34. This is the end of the Torah. If you were a good Jew who practiced Torah reading through a Parsha, through a, a yearly reading on the last day of the year, you not only read the end of the Torah, but you start again the Torah. Because the reading of the Torah is not supposed to end. So that at the end of the year, you go back and you start with Genesis 1 again. Before you roll into the next year. But you should never read the Torah without seeing how it ends. Joshua, he's full of the spirit of wisdom. Moses laid hands on him. He's the obvious successor to Moses. The people of Israel obeyed him just as the Lord had commanded Moses. But there's not risen a prophet in since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to his servants, to all the land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the eyes of Israel. The Torah ends telling you that there's not been anyone like Moses. And there wasn't until Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, who did the great deeds of Moses and more. Who rescued his people not simply from Pharaoh and Egypt, but from Satan and bondage, from death and the grave. Who worked signs and wonders and does today. Who spoke with the, on behalf of the Lord. Who interceded on behalf of the people. And so the Torah ends telling us that there's one who is coming. And that's where our focus needs to be. Thank you so much for enjoying through the Torah with me and these Torah devotionals. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus? And then we will be back next Sunday for the food and fun and festivities. And then uh, the following Sunday, uh, we will do our spring cleaning. And I'll send, get Brent to send an email and tell you where we're going. Father, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua. I ask your blessings on us that we will see that you have gone before us, that you stand beside us, that you follow us.
that you will make us strong and courageous, that we will not fear, that we will not dread, that we will not fall to pieces, that we will not be shattered over anything as we honor you, the Lord our God, with the everlasting arms that will hold us and sustain us. May we dwell, Father, under your eternity in the strength and power and wisdom and direction that you give us. Amen.